Hi, everybody. Welcome to the sixth installment of Kara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. I'm Kara. I'm Andrew. This is the sixth part of our 3,726 part series uh, based on Andrew's very scientific count. Yep. Collect them all. Yep. So in this podcast, we randomly select a movie from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, watch it, do a little bit of research afterwards, and then we come back and tell you what we thought about it, uh, as well as whatever interesting bits of information we were able to cull. We currently have two rules. The first being we can't watch a movie for this podcast that we have already seen. And then the second rule is that the movies can be no longer than four hours. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Shoah. Yeah. The nine and a half hour thank you for documentary making... that forced us to come up with this rule. Before we get too deep into this, we should give our standard disclaimer. Uh, we're not affiliated with Scarecrow Video in any way. We think that you should go there and give them money if you're in the area. But yeah, our thoughts and opinions are ours and ours alone. Trademark, patent pending. We've received a few questions uh, asking us to tell a little bit more about the Scarecrow video movie guide. So Sasquatch Books started publishing the Scarecrow video movie guide in 2004. The book covers close to 4,000 titles in just over 750 pages with the reviews being written by current and former employees of Scarecrow, as well as some other people who had close ties to the store and and their owners um, in some way or another. Yeah, and there's about 70 almost different people that are doing the reviews, so it's a lot of different diverse opinions uh, throughout the book. The way that the book is laid out is kind of interesting because it almost mirrors the way that the store itself is laid out. There's 14 chapters, and the first chapter is basically half the book, just about. Uh, The book is like 750 pages, and the first chapter is 300 of that, uh, roughly. And that's dedicated basically to listing uh, movies categorized by their director. And then the second chapter is categorizing movies based on their country of origin. And so like, if you go into Scarecrow Video, that's actually how the store is laid out. The front of the store is movies organized by director. The back of it is organized by their the country that they came from. And then the remaining chapters in the book are kind of separated by the type of movie. And that's similar to how the second floor has a bunch of rooms that kind of split off and are all categorized by uh, the type of movie as well. It was pretty interesting. I didn't realize that that was how the, the book was structured until I read that they did that deliberately. I hadn't thought about it, but it totally makes sense. Now, having been there so many times, as someone who's familiar with the story, you can kind of visually picture where you are as you're going through the book. It's probably also helpful when you want to pick something and you want to know where to find it in the store. Like, oh, it was in this chapter by director, so I'll, I'll find it there. Or it was in the, the genre chapter, so it's probably over in like the mysteries room or whatever. It is definitely an interesting layout, like going to the different theme rooms upstairs. Um, it's crammed full of movies. Like it's absolutely jam packed. Claustrophobic. If you just like wander around aimlessly, you'll, you'll find something that's pretty interesting, no doubt. So last week we watched The Mangler, which was a movie based off of a short story by Stephen King. We both enjoyed it. Not the best movie 
at all. I'm not. I shouldn't even try to phrase it that way because it's not a great movie. But we, yeah, we thought it was entertaining in its own weird way. Did we have any other follow up thoughts on The Mangler now that it's been about a week since we watched it? Not really. Just I still hate that kind of soundtrack. I really <laughs> hate that movie soundtrack. <laughs> all right, duly noted. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have no other thoughts. I think we we said pretty much all we can say. Uh, so should we move on to selecting the movie? Let's. Okay. This time it's Andrew's week to select a movie, so I will ask you to please clench your eyes firmly shut, and I am now starting to flip through the book. Okay. Tell me what. And stop. Okay. Just go back to the previous page. Oh, nope. That's Lilia Forever. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Well, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay. I, I re- nope. That's the second time I picked that. What the oh, hell? Oh, my God, Andrew. Oh, my God. No. All okay. right. Take, take two. Take two. All right. Uh, okay, stop. If it's Lilia Forever again, I swear to God, I'm going to... It's not? Okay. Oh. Okay. Okay. So... This week, we're watching Beyond the Mat. It is categorized as a sports-slash-wrestling movie. Okay. It's from 1999 uh-huh. and uh, was directed by Barry Blaustein. Or Blaustein. Blaustein, writer of Police Academy 2. Oh, boy. And the Eddie Murphy Nutty Professor movies, somehow also directed this fascinating documentary about the business of professional wrestling. Best-selling author-slash-leatherface-themed wrestler, Mick Foley steals the show, contrasting his seemingly normal family life with his insane wrestling antics. You learn that, although it's all acting, it's also very dangerous. In perhaps the most memorable scene, Foley's wife and children cry in horror as they watch him get hit over the head of the chair. There's also a tragic look at the life of Jake the Snake Roberts, who was once a superstar but now wrestles in the high school gyms and is addicted to crack and sex. Blaustein's quasi-Michael Moore narration gets grating, but it's all so interesting, you're left wishing there were whole movies about each of the characters. Okay, well... well, I was really worried at first when I saw it was a sports-slash-wrestling movie, but this actually sounds pretty interesting. I I was more worried about the Police Academy 2 thing, but I think (laughs) they... uh, Okay, I'm I'm alright, I'm on board now. So, neither of us have seen this. Uh, It's not Lilia Forever, so those are two pluses in its favor. All right, wrestling documentary. Did not see that coming at all. No. But, uh, yeah. Again, that's just one of the, the magical things about the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. Never know what you're going to get. So we will be back after a brief break, and we will give you our thoughts on... Beyond the Map. So uh, we are back. We are back. And, uh, we have so, gone beyond beyond the map. Yeah, we were just talking about how Tara mistakenly <laughs> wrote the name down as Under the Mat. And I'm kind of curious what that movie would have been. Yeah, uh, yeah, it would have been very different. Yep. 
Well. So let's do our, do our rating. Uh, Five-point scale from don't watch, maybe don't watch, eh, maybe watch, and don't not watch. Uh, on the count of three. One, two, three. Maybe, maybe watch. watch. Yeah, we both liked it pretty well, I think. Yeah. There's a few problems we had with it. Uh, Not major problems. Like, there are things that you can get past well enough. Yeah, the narrator of the movie, that's not a major problem. Well, (laughs) not even just the narrator. He's the director. The director, yeah. So. We'll just get this out of the way at the start. So we can move on to the actual stuff that we liked about the movie. But yeah. yeah. There was too much talk from the director to a degree, at the beginning of the movie, he needed to give the premise of why he was doing this, you know, and right. explaining yeah. that he's a big wrestling fan, blah, 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 blah. When he was a little kid, he saw wrestlers after a match getting into their cars with their families and being like, wrestlers have families? Ooh, yeah. What's that like? Yeah. So, um, I mean, so- like, that part of it, I think that would have been appropriate to keep in. Um. It's going to be hard for us to talk about the plot in chronological order. Cause well, there's... it's not really a plot. It's yeah. just more the movie follows around several different wrestlers at different points in their careers. Just sort of getting to know them, what motivates them, what they're like outside. I mean, you're introduced to several different people, not only the wrestlers, but actually the people sort of behind the scenes running these wrestling operations. Like the promoters and trainers and that sort of thing. Management. So, yeah, management. You see a little bit of that and just kind of like a lot of sleazeballs there. Yeah. Um, that, that was kind of the one running trend, I think, throughout the whole movie. It seems like there are a lot of other people out there willing to prey on, uh, or not, not prey on them no, necessarily. I think, right. I think, I think part of it's that, but also just ring them for all they've got. Yeah. Like, there are talks about wrestlers who. You know, maybe, maybe if you're lucky, you're going to get $40 for yeah. doing a show. So let's, let's uh, talk, start by talking about that yeah, first. We'll talk, well, no, no, you're fine. But we'll talk about like the kind of the lesser known wrestlers at first. Maybe the, the movie opens with some prospective new wrestler and yeah. he's meeting with Vince McMahon in the WWF. Then it was the WWF offices to try to come up with his character for wrestling. And Vince McMahon is a, seems like a total dirtbag. I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anybody. Right. Like, I think a lot of people have an idea of who Vince McMahon is to some degree. Maybe maybe without even realizing it yeah. entirely. But in general, kind of a... Lizard-eyed, yeah. creepy, gross, uh, ill-fitting suit-wearing dirtbag. Yes. Like, the suit fits him so poorly it is distracting yeah it is so the the movie opens up with this wrestler draws meeting with vince mcmahon and some other wwf dudes and they're trying to figure out what his character is going to be and so they're sitting around and they're like oh well you know your talent seems to be like throwing up so you can regurgitate on command yeah so uh i think we're gonna name you puke and but it's not puke it's gonna be puke puke yeah he's like it's it's got a nice ring to it it's like hawk or animal puke like yeah because those three things go together really well yeah. uh, and, and then they make this poor guy like throw up into a garbage can on vince mcmahon's desk on command and it just kind of sets the tone for the relationship between the wrestlers and the management right not um, just vince mcmahon specifically, no but just... absolutely not so there was this kind of creepy accountant uh i forget what his name is roland? but yeah i think you're right roland so he has this uh wrestling school and 
I was really skeeved out by this dude. One of his quotes is, you have to be a, a prick to be in this business. And he definitely took that to heart. A lot of his wrestlers don't even get paid. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, I only pay you if you if you actually earned it. And it's like, oh, yeah, here's 25 bucks. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe you'll get $25. Maybe. You know, a lot of criticism people have about wrestling, like televised wrestling and, and these kind of shows is how scripted and fake it is. And that's obviously true. There's a lot of fake drama and all the character development and all that. It's not like you're watching two guys wrestle in a classical sense, but... There is a lot of physical damage that goes into this and being yeah. a wrestler. You see that over and over again with these guys. It's a running theme. I, I, I felt insulted on behalf of these guys that like they go out there and they do this job and they don't even get paid. Or if you happen to ask to take a day off, you're not granted it. That's it. You lose your job. The, the job that you maybe do or do not get paid for. Right. And if yeah. you do, it's like, yeah, $25 a night. These wrestlers obviously love what they're doing. Right. That's what's driving them. And that is kind of what makes it tragic. So a couple of these wrestlers from the school they that uh, this Roland guy is running end up getting into some, I guess, kind of preliminary match with WWF. And so you see them wrestling and then you see the behind the scenes with Vince McMahon kind of watching the video and... Like, all of the guys that are watching and evaluating this performance seem like total it's, creeps. It's like they're watching a dogfight or something. Yeah. Like, they're not even watching people. Roland obviously has a big stake in it because if they get signed to the WWF, he gets 20% of whatever the, they the make. Contract. The contract. The contract is. Yeah. Like, holy shit. The whole situation just puts a bad taste in your mouth. And especially just, like, seeing these wrestlers, how earnest they are and, like, how excited they are at the prospect of potentially getting to move up to the next level of wrestling. You feel bad for them, and you kind of know that, well, it's, the movie was released in 1999. You haven't heard of these dudes, so obviously their careers didn't take off. Apart from some of these amateur guys that we see at the start of the movie, there's really three big wrestlers who make up the bulk of the documentary or they're the focus of the bulk of the documentary. So one of them is Terry Funk, who at this point was in his, I think, early to mid fifties and contemplating retirement. So we see some of the footage from Terry's career and he obviously has a, a big reputation in the wrestling world, very well known there. Um, and then kind of locally in his community. Yeah. As locally well. is very prominent in his community in Texas. So you see him and his, at his daughter's wedding, and you meet his family a little bit, and you can tell his wife's just like, okay, yeah, it's time for you to retire. Pretty much everybody in his life is like, he should have stopped doing this like seven or eight years ago. Right. So in the documentary, um, you get to see Terry go visit his doctor, and they're looking at x-rays of his knees. And the doctor starts off like, okay, well, let's talk about your good knee. And... It's not great news. He's talking about arthritis and pointing out all these things and like, yep, so you're going to be able to continue using it, but you're just going to be in a lifetime of pain for whatever your life ends up being, like 30 to 40 years. And then he goes on like, well, now you're bad knee. And it's like, <laughs> like, oh, that's, that's his good knee. <laughs> you know, and that didn't even talk about any of the other chronic injuries that he's dealing with or, or the pain right. he's in. And I don't know how they could do it. Like when I've been in situations where I've been in pain for long periods of time, it is such an awful feeling, and I like these guys put themselves into that position willingly, 
and they continue to exacerbate the problem yeah. like knowingly because they love wrestling that much like that is some intense love for what you do. Right. And I think he kind of talks about how he really can't do anything else at that point. Yeah. Which is fair enough because he's in his mid-50s and he's been doing wrestling for, I think, 30 years, I think. They yeah, it was point. like 30, 32 years or something so like that. So there probably are not a lot of marketable skills that he has attained through 30 years of wrestling and trying to learn new stuff isn't right. going to be particularly Plus with easy. whatever head injuries he might have had right. too like I'm, i don't know how much that might play into it you see this other guy who lives in the same community who also tried to make it into wrestling and he was working at least when the documentary was filmed as a pest exterminator but he still was working out every day, thinking like, well, one day I might get called back in. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm only in my 50s. Like, yeah. they might, I might get the call. Yeah, and, he, and he's like, oh, um, well, my last match was in 1991. So, like, so we're talking about, like, maybe the end of the ago. 90s. I mean, it really seems like it is potentially, a, like, a lifelong profession, but it really shouldn't be. Just, like, seeing the toll, not only on their bodies, but the toll on their families. Right. Knowing that they could get seriously injured you know guys have died doing this in the past if you're in the big league you know there are a lot of scripted moves and, and that sort of thing and they try to eliminate a lot of the serious injuries but that doesn't mean stuff doesn't go wrong he retires i guess he like he has he retires at this ceremony and everybody makes a big deal out of it and then we find out later that the retirement lasted all of three months before he started wrestling again. After the fact, when we were doing our, our customary research, we found out that he actually had been wrestling as recently as 2015. So like 16 years after the movie was released, he was still wrestling occasionally at the age of 71, uh, which is fucking insane. And I have to say, I'm honestly super impressed considering his, the state of his knees at the right. time. Like, he was being told he needed to replace his left knee immediately. So, I mean, 2015, maybe he, oh my god. Like, what, is he, like, maybe a bionic man at this yeah, point? Yeah, I was going to say, maybe he got it replaced and just was like, all right, yeah. let's go, back in the ring, I'm good. I got my, my robot leg. Right, maybe. So, the, one of the other wrestlers they talk about is Jake the Snake Roberts. Definitely uh, the, the, most, the most depressing. yeah. Of the three. We, we thought we dodged a bullet by not having to watch Lilia forever again, but this was maybe only slightly less depressing. Uh, eh, well, no, it was less depressing, but it... Definitely less, it was still less depressing, depressing, but it was still... End points depressing. Yeah. Sure. At the time that they filmed the documentary, he had been out of the wrestling scene for a while. He kind of just dropped off the, the radar of everybody. The director meets up with them, and they kind of go on a road trip and he's Jake the Snake is going to all these really tiny wrestling venues because that's the state of his career at that point. He just has to really go to these scummy looking, like the movie The Wrestler. That actually, you, you watch that and you're like, oh, that looks like a gross place yeah. for this to happen. But that's actually like a rose tinted version of what the the yeah. venues that they're actually wrestling in in real like, life. I'm wondering almost in some ways if that was like a. Inspiration. Inspiration. That's gotta be. Yeah. Yeah. So Jake the Snake Roberts was going through some really rough patches. Doesn't seem like it's gotten vastly. It seems like it has. I, I kind of was yeah. under the impression that it. It seems like there's definitely been some improvements, but like when the documentary was filmed, he was using crack and contemplating suicide. He was not in a good place. Yeah, and he's trying to kind of 
make amends with his estranged daughter who he hasn't seen in four years, but it just, that goes pretty poorly as well because she has a lot of legitimate complaints about the kind of father that he was. Like, he doesn't seem like a bad guy, but he just seems like he's been worn down to, like, a nub by everything that he's been through. Yeah, yeah. Reading up on him after watching the documentary, it's clear this guy did not have a happy childhood and potential abuses and things. Yeah. I think when you're watching this documentary, you're seeing a man who feels like he's got nothing to hide, he's got nothing to Mm -hmm. lose, he's kind of at the bottom. He lets the director film after he's done crack, so... Right. Yeah. He openly says... The person he hates most in the world is usually the man in the mirror. But luckily it seems like some things have turned around since. And on a positive note, from what I read, uh, several of the big wrestling organizations have started paying for them to go through rehab if they want it. In one sense, you want to give credit to the organizations for doing this, but at the same time, like knowing what these guys are having to do just to do the job and like it's... No wonder why some of these guys end up doing crack because, yeah. as he put it, you're on you know on the road constantly and flying maybe eight times a week and two so shows a day. Yeah, two shows a day. So you're doing stuff for the to deal with the pain. You're having to do sleeping pills to get yourself to bed and then like something to wake yourself up in the morning and then you just end up in this horrible cycle. Right. The third wrestler, Mick Foley, aka Mankind. I thought he was somebody I had never heard of before when we were reading the little burb in the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. But then when I saw him, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I re- remember seeing a guy like that. Yeah, like neither one of us are big wrestling fans or anything, but I, I, I'd heard about him, too. That guy just seemed like a total good guy, like caring and like smart and like a good dad. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that just makes it all the more tragic when you see how his wife and kids are traumatized watching him wrestling, getting beaten up and beaten into a pulp. You can see that it's like really eating at him too. Cause he is For really sure. concerned about his kids and it's well, hard to watch. Like that's already hard enough to watch, but then it, there's a scene in the documentary where Mick Foley's wife and their two kids are ringside watching him. And it's this, like a, a championship. Yeah. I think it's bout. a Royal rumble. Where he was going to be basically giving up his belt to yeah. The Rock as part of the story arc. They're ringside watching the show, and they just all fall apart. There's just all kind of all three of them, but especially the, the daughter. She can't handle it. She's just bawling away. Yeah, and understandably so, because it's just, it's brutal watching it. And I mean... This, Absolutely brutal. The, like, The Rock is smashing him repeatedly in the face and like... With a metal chair. With a metal chair, and... like dropping onto him on top of the chair and stuff and McFoley is clearly getting beat up pretty bad like he's just like covered in blood yeah you can't fake that much blood well you could but they're not but then later on the director of the documentary decided to show McFoley and his wife that footage and he's just like mortified you, you can tell he's just like so so upset that he put his family through that Nothing had made him really feel like that before. He'd always thought he was just doing a good job being a dad. But then just seeing his family, like, cowering together and, and crying. and Kind of shook him. That's kind of the the end of the main part of the movie, really, yeah. is what that, that bout. And then seeing kind of the aftermath and how that affects him and his family. They'll just kind of wrap it up from there, right? They kind of go into a little bit of information on what happened to some of the wrestlers like the guy at the start of the movie draws or i mean sorry 
puke, how puke uh, started to get like integrated into the WWF wrestling scene more after he met with Vince McMahon, but then uh, like basically got paralyzed. He became a quadriplegic after like a stunt went bad during a bout and ended his career like just a few months after he was really starting to get established in the, the scene. Yeah, it's rough. Going back to McFoley, um, the one thing that we both kind of thought was funny was like, well, trying to figure out what he's going to do. He talks about how I don't want to be 35 or 36. Oh, oh, yeah. Getting beat up this badly or something like that. Yeah. Or just having to do like, this all the time. Exactly. Like, I want to figure out how I can be retired before I get right. to that age. Yes. Yeah. And so we're like, he, what, he's not like 40 or something right now. Yeah. He's old. Like. He doesn't look old like like uh, Terry or right. or Jake the Snake, but but he looks older than me. And I mean, definitely. And you know, maybe part of that is like the hair and the. I mean, to be fair, Frankie Muniz looks older than me, and, and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm not talking like Frankie Muniz today. I mean, like season one, Malcolm in the Middle. Frankie Muniz looks <laughs> looks older than me. Yeah, we're just like we're watching that, like. Oh, he's yeah. not. He's we're both looking at each not other. Not even in his mid thirties yet. Uh, I was like, what the hell. I think we kind of integrated some of the stuff that we found out after the fact into the discussion of yeah. the movie itself. But one thing, when when I was going to Scarecrow to pick the movie up, I saw on the cover that it was being billed as the movie Vince McMahon doesn't want you to see. And I'm like, ooh, that's salacious. Is it because he's like a total dirtbag in it? And he is, but not like to the extent where he'd be like, oh, I can see why. Well, I mean, that paints him really negatively. I mean, he just he seems like a creep. But I guess it was just because he... He didn't really object to anything in the documentary, necessarily. It wasn't scandalous. It was just, like, an issue of him not getting a cut of the money he felt he was owed by letting them feature WWF wrestlers. That's boring. That's kind of a letdown. I was looking yeah. for something, something juicy. Apparently, Jake the Snake Roberts is not happy, or at least at one point a few years ago, was not happy with how he and his family came across... I could see why he would be happy with it, but it didn't yeah. seem like it was a case of selective it, editing or anything. I, exactly, because I think they were, they were all pretty long shots, and and like him and his daughter were just kind of allowed to say what they wanted to. And on that note, it's time for a series. Yeah. So, uh, if you wanted to send us any comments or give us any movie recommendations or anything like that, you can get a hold of us at Tara and Andrew Versus, all spelled out, at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website at Tara and Andrew Versus.com if you want to see a webpage. If you want to see, if you want to see, a web to see page, this modern miracle called a web page, it's you, know, you can <laughs> click on things, and then other things happen when you click on the things. That it's it's pretty fancy. So at this time, I want to say thank you to Boat for letting us use their song lately uh, off their album "Setting the Paces." Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Boat. And I think we are done for this episode. Yes, <laughs> we're we're dying because of the this awful heat. So. We're going to stop recording and turn the fans back on and hopefully not pass out from sweating all the liquid out of our body. Catch you later, potato hags. Yeah, catch you later, potato hags. <laughs>